Hi, everybody, and welcome to the weekly message for The Table. The Table is a church in Davenport, Iowa, where people are moving from greed toward generosity, from violence toward peacemaking, from isolation toward neighborliness, and from fear toward faith. I'm Pastor Rob Leverage, and it is good to be with you on this beautiful, beautiful day. Lots of exciting news in the beginning of the year 2022 for The Table. We do have our new location. We purchased a house in West Davenport, and we are going to have this house be the center of our ministry life together for worship and the breaking of bread and fun and games and also important uh, work and, and service. So uh, this is a very, very good news, uh, the, the culmination of a long process, and uh, we're just very, very excited and happy. We're going to have one in-person worship service on Sunday, February the 6th, and then we are going to start our weekly gatherings every Sunday, um, starting with the season of Lent. So we're going to have an Ash Wednesday service that will be March the 2nd, and then um, the following Sunday, March the 6th, will be the first Sunday, and from then then on, we're going to be meeting every Sunday, always at 5 p.m. at our new location. You can get all the information, all the details and directions on our website, the table qc.com. So today we're going to be focusing on a passage from the Gospel of Luke for our, our message today, and it is about John the Baptist and Jesus, the moment when they encounter each other on the River Jordan and Jesus is baptized. So let's open our hearts, open our minds, and give a good listen. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice called from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I had a professor in seminary who had this um, pet peeve, I guess you could say. She was very adamant about it. If anybody ever referred to John the Baptist, she would cut you off and she would say, that's John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. John was not a Baptist. Many laughs were had about this uh, particular point she always liked to bring up. Um, she did not have anything against Baptists. Um, she just did not want John to be associated with a denomination. Uh, John was not a Baptist, that's true. But it is fitting that he would be remembered for his profession. Okay? John called people to the water. He called people to the water the water of forgiveness. Your value as a person preceded your sins, and it will outlast them. The water of repentance. Your mistakes do not define you. They do not own you. You can do better. These are the waters of new beginnings. Henry David Thoreau wrote once that a person should be like a river. The form is constant. The channel 
ongoing, but every second the interior is renewed. New water every instant, new beginnings. John baptized. When I say that baptism was John's profession, I don't mean to suggest it was his job. Uh, he didn't get paid, but it was a full-time occupation, right? He preached all up and down the Jordan River from Judea to Galilee, from the Sea of Tiberias to the Salt Sea, about 60 miles. He was always on foot, and according to the different gospel accounts, thousands and thousands of people throughout that whole area came to John. A lot of people came to the river to get baptized. One day, Jesus came to the river, and he joined the crowd. Jesus mixed in, you see. He was one among many, baptized with the same water, the same words, the same river bank as everybody else. He set his things down in a little pile. He prepared for his turn. And the way the Gospel of Luke tells the story, it's it's kind of unspectacular. The, the wording is, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized. That's all that Luke says. Uh, he could have put a little bit more impressive imagery in there, a little bit more dramatic emphasis, but he chose not to. When all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, Jesus was one among many. Yes, now, John had talked about Jesus before he came, right? Before uh, Jesus showed up that day, John had talked to people about someone who was coming after him. But that was, of course, to, for the purpose of explaining to folks that John himself was not actually the Messiah. People had been asking about that, apparently. The day that Jesus actually showed up, however, there was not any fanfare to speak of. There was no band playing. There was no paparazzi. There was no red carpet going down to the water, right? There was no sort of, like, attention, please. The person we've all been waiting for is finally here. There was absolutely none of that. And if you look closely at the text, there isn't actually any detail in the text that suggests that people at the river that day knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, We might not think about that very much, but go ahead and look at the text when you read it in the Gospel of Luke, right? And there's nothing that suggests that anyone besides Jesus that day saw the Holy Spirit come down like a dove or heard the voice of God speak to Jesus, you are my beloved, and in you I am well pleased. It doesn't appear that anyone was aware of these things, not even John the baptizer. It's very interesting, right? John knew that the anointed one was coming, okay? Whoever it was, John said that he was unworthy to untie the thong of this one's sandal. But did he know that the long-awaited Messiah was Jesus? Well, <laughs> I think not. I think that he did not know, because later on in the story, um, John actually asks Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we be waiting for somebody else, right? John did not know what God knew about Jesus. That is helpful for us to keep in mind, okay? Because anytime you encounter anybody, right? It could be somebody that you've known for years, could be somebody you just met, or it could be somebody that you haven't even met 
right? But that you have just observed, right? The truth is you don't know what God knows about that other person. Helpful to keep that in mind, just saying, okay? But that day at the river, Jesus was one among many, many people. When all the people had been baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized. I picture John in the water, maybe knee-deep, up to his waist, something like that, and he's calling out, Next! And Jesus is like the 17th person in line, patiently waiting, just sort of inching up, inching forward just a little bit every time somebody else goes into the water. In the church world, we don't have a lot of imagery of Jesus in line, do we? Now, now in religious pictures, Jesus is always at the front. He's always at the center. Jesus is always the VIP in Christian artwork, right? And that's not surprising. I mean, he is the Savior. Of course, people want to make art that depicts Jesus as the most important person in the scene, okay? But also, I just think people hate being in line, right? I think that people hate waiting their turn, right? And that affects our desire, you know, to depict any any kind of line, certainly to put Jesus in line. I went to Walmart <laughs> the other day, and I spent about 17 hours in line uh, about behind a person who could not get the computer checkout thing to work so she could buy some ranch dressing. And I have to say, as the minutes passed by, I started reevaluating all my life choices. Uh, what am, what's happening to me? What's, what's happening right now? How did I get here? Standing in line can make an otherwise sane person feel like their life is unraveling. This has happened to me. I don't want to picture Jesus standing in line. Lord, no. Many experiences in the world, of course, are set up to allow you to bypass the line. If you have money, you don't have, if you have, if you have money, you can pay to be a Platinum Plus member, right? And then you don't have to stand in line, right? At Disney World or at the airport or what have you, you can be a preferred customer. It's pricey, but if you can pay the big bucks, they let you cut in line because there is special treatment for special people, right? But one day Jesus went down to the river. He waited his turn. He got into the water, no special treatment, not even for the Lord. That is something to think about. When all the people had been baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, rich and poor, young and old, the honored and the despised, those who were putting their lives together, those whose lives are falling apart, same river, same water, same grace for everybody. Everybody gets to repent. Everybody gets to be forgiven. Everybody gets to be washed clean. Everybody gets brought through chaos from death to life. All are welcome. No special treatment. Get in line. <laughs> when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we share Holy Communion, right? You know, Sunday worship service, what have you. Often there is an aisle in a church, you know, sanctuary within which a line forms, right? But even if it's not exactly in an aisle or in a line, we all get the same thing, right? We all get the same bread, same cup. Each of us is told the same truth. The body, the blood, broken and shed for you. The fullness of God's grace is poured out for you, for you, 
grace is offered to you individually, personally, specially, and that grace is poured out for everybody else the same as you. The exact same. Sometimes this is hard to believe, right? <laughs> we may be feeling self-righteous. We may, may be very confident that we are better, right? And, and more worthy of love than so-and-so because they're the worst, right? Or the other side of that coin or the opposite extreme, sometimes we feel shame, self-loathing. We feel I am certainly no good. It is stunning <laughs> to consider. It is bewildering to really ponder that God loves us the same, right? That God loves us the same as the worst criminals and the most benevolent saints ever to walk the earth. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's how it is. That's the truth, okay? Um, Garrison Keeler from uh, uh, Prairie Home Companion fame, uh, he has written over many years about um, his experiences growing up Lutheran in rural Minnesota. And uh, there's a lot of ways, subtle and overt, that the theology of his Lutheran churches insinuated itself into all the different aspects of his life. And one way that this happened is he recalls how every adult in his life when he was a child, every adult around him, no matter what the context, every adult wanted to make sure he knew that he was not special. Right? It's just funny to consider. And he hates now. He, he will talk openly about how much he hates the way these days kids are taught that they are special. Right? Because that is the opposite of the way he was raised. And he thinks, you know, there's a real value in being told that you are not special. Um, one of, he had many humbling experiences in his childhood. One of them was that his grandparents, at whose home uh, he spent a lot of time as a, as a kid, his grandparents on a farm, they had no indoor plumbing. And they had an outhouse behind the house uh, with a bench that had three holes in it, okay? So as a kid, he would be out there in the outhouse handling some business, and his cousin would just open the door, walk in, and sit down right next to him, right? It's very humbling, and it's very difficult when you're regularly going through experiences like that that you could think you're, that you're a special person, right? No, because in that family, everybody knew that everybody else was just a person right? We're all human beings doing human things around here, okay? But um, uh, the Lutheran upbringing that he describes, it instilled many things into him. He talked about a thing called the democracy of the gospel, and that, that is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We are all in need of redemption and forgiveness and healing and saving, Okay, it's the democracy of the gospel. So don't think you're special because you're not. Okay, pain comes to everybody. Shame comes to everybody. Grief comes to everybody. Failure comes to everybody. And grace, amazing grace comes to everybody. No first class seating. Okay, Fred Craddock uh, is a very famous preacher and 
professor. If you, he's written many books, he died, I think, in 2015. If you've never heard of Fred Craddock, um, that's no big deal, but I, you should know that um, thousands, really generations of preachers read and studied the preaching of Fred Craddock as they were learning, going through their education and learning to become preachers. Okay, So Fred Craddock is an incredibly important person in you know, American Christianity, let's say, um, in the 20th century. Okay. And, uh, Fred Craddock has a story in one of his, he's, he's known as an amazing storyteller. Every Fred Craddock, uh, sermon was centered around some very compelling stories. And one sermon that has always stayed with me includes a story that he told about a time that he spent in rehab after a very serious injury. There was lots of physical therapy and, a lot of time that was spent with others. This was a group rehab, group therapy, physical therapy program. And he was in this group of people who were all trying to get their bodies to work the way that they used to. Okay, There were young people in this group as well as retirees. There was a victim of a hit and run. There was a contractor who had fallen off of a roof. There was an athlete whose sport had been taken away for good. There was a first-time drunk driver, a stroke survivor, others, and there was him. Okay? And throughout this rehab program that they were all doing together, they had these milestones that everybody had to attempt a certain benchmark activity, right? And they would attempt these things together as a group. And one of the very first activities that they had to do after they'd been through a certain period of time with their therapy, right, was as a group, they, they, would, they were all in wheelchairs and they would be wheeled into this big open room. And it was one of those rooms that has one of the walls is all mirrors. And there was a shiny steel railing attached to, to the wall. And uh, the activity that they had to accomplish was that each person, when it was their turn, had to stand up from their wheelchair and then they had to go step over to this shiny steel railing. And using that railing for support, they had to take three steps. Okay, That's it. <laughs> That's the entire activity. That's the entire uh, achievement or goal that they were trying to accomplish. Obviously, this physical uh, task was not a big deal to any of these people before they were injured. But on this particular day, as they were wheeled into that room, everybody was looking in that bar thinking, am I going to be able to pull this off? Right? Nobody was special in that room. Okay? Fred Craddock is a best-selling author and a tenured professor, but he wasn't special. Right? I'm just a guy trying to stand up and take three steps. Everybody was broken in that room. Everybody was trying to heal. Everybody was unsteady. Everybody needed help. And on that day, some people made their steps. And some people's legs gave out. And the next day, they all tried again, and the next day, and the day after that. They knew 
They were all the same. They were in this thing together. The waters that John called people into, the waters of forgiveness, of cleansing, of healing, the threshold waters across which the rescued are delivered, the waters of spiritual birth from which new beginnings are authored, this water is for everyone. God's grace is for everyone. And it's in this ever-present and all-consuming grace that Jesus himself was baptized at the inauguration of his ministry of justice and mercy and liberation and healing and reconciliation. Okay? Jesus went down to these waters okay, on the day he knew it was time for him to do what he needed to do. It takes courage to do what Jesus did. Jesus needed courage. You and I need courage. It is not easy to do the things that are put before us to do. And so it is good to remember that the grace that compels us, the grace that sends us, the grace that commands us and demands things of us, this is the grace that first welcomes us and receives us, cleanses us, forgives us, nourishes us, blesses us, and calls us beloved. Friends, come to the water. It's here for you and for me, everyone. Thanks be to God. Amen.